This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones, and this is Season 13, Episode 10. Today I'm speaking with uh, the wonderful and uh, lovely chef Alicia Shevatone, who is a culinary whirlwind. She's a pop-up chef, cookbook author, TV personality, and founder of Dink Cuisine, a food and entertainment company that curates culinary experiences across all media. Her first cookbook was Italian Cookbook for Two, and it's a delightful collection of 24 recipes that will take you from antipasti to dolce. With its focus on traditional flavor combinations and encouragement to experiment, this gem is sure to put a home cook at ease. Her second cookbook, Vegetarian Ketogenic Cookbook for Beginners, is Chef Alicia unlocks the protein-packed potential of vegetables and other meat-free foods. With 75 recipes and a meal plan, this book is the perfect guide to combining the benefits of the lacto-ovo-vegetarian and ketogenic diets. Chef Alicia's third cookbook, Out Now, is Food with Spirit. Alcohol-infused recipes is set to be released in September 26, 2023. And this boozy collection features 50 recipes infused with everything from spiced rum to smooth cognac. Each recipe is complemented with beautiful photos and Chef Alicia's signature entertaining stories. And that is, uh, just to correct myself, is out currently. Um, So you can get that now. We have links to that in the bio. So uh, you can follow Chef Alicia on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And she's all over uh, the place. Um, She's very popular and she's on television. And you've probably seen her on the news and other shows as well. I'm going to take you now to my conversation with Chef Alicia Shevatone. And that's going to be right now. Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones. I'm so happy to be talking with Chef Alicia Shevatone today. Alicia, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's great uh, to be here. Thanks, Dean. So just for our listeners, um, can you tell us where you're from and where you live now? Yes, I was born and raised in San Jose, California, now living in Las Vegas, Nevada. So you're a local girl. Yes. <laughs> for those of you don't know, I'm, I'm in the Bay Area, so that's why I say that. I know. Um, I, was just, I was just home last weekend. I just got home yesterday. Oh, did you eat out anywhere? Did you go to any, go to any restaurants out here? Uh, Original Joe's, kind of family favorite. So we, we had to go to Original Joe's, kind of a requirement. So uh, yeah, we got, got to do that, which is really fun. And then um, one of the things I, I think I knew at some point that the Fairmont downtown had changed over to a Hilton uh, signature or some, some you know, n- nice version of their Hilton and I had a chance to have breakfast there uh, as Ooh. well at the fountain, which is, uh, was great. Really, really fun. Yeah. Had a great time. I love that place. Um, I want to ask you growing up, did you have any culinary inspirations or mentors growing up that, that kind of influenced your love of cooking? Well, although I didn't appreciate it at the time, my mother is just an absolutely brilliant cook, uh, home cook. You know, she, um, our, our family was in the restaurant business. Um, but back in the seventies and eighties, you know, I grew up, uh, I was born in 1971 
she was pulling out cookbooks from, you know, all over the world and making, you know, globally inspired cuisine, you know, from Hungary and, you know, Japan, I mean, all, all different types of cuisines. Um, we're Northern Italian. So we definitely had a, an Italian bias in terms of the foods that, you know, she prepared for us, but um, definitely my mom, secondarily, I would say I was a huge PBS kid. So uh, watching public television, I would watch Julia Child, Jacques Pepin, Yan Can Cook, um, Great Chefs of the World. When other kids were watching, you know, cartoons, I was waking up at six in the morning and trying to keep the TV as low as possible without waking up my mom <laughs> so that I could watch cooking shows on PBS. Uh, so not not your average kid, but that's kind of where I fell in love with it. Yeah, it was it was great. Great influences. I'm glad you said that because I was pretty much the same way. I loved watching all those shows and I would get up before my parents and watch them all too. I just love those shows. <laughs> Good old KQED. That That's right. KQED. That's yeah. right. <laughs> did you always kind of know you'd be working in the food industry? I mean, you mentioned that your parents had a restaurant. Did, did that kind of, did the bug kind of uh, get under your skin also for that? Actually, it was, it was my grandparents. Um, oh, sorry, and, grandparents was, yeah. um, and then... When I was born, um, they had sold their restaurant at that point, and then they were just in the bar business. Um, and, you know, my my grandma wound up selling the business uh, on my dad's side. Uh, my my mother's Italian and my my father, who's, who's unfortunately deceased, um, his family was in the restaurant business in uh, the L.A. area. Uh, French restaurants as French. Uh, so both my grandparents, uh, my dad's side were actually born in France. Um, but no, I, at the time I, I didn't even, I was pushed more to the academic side of things. Mm -hmm. So um, from a, you know, a, a, as a kid, I, I was really raised to have very, very good grades and, and go to college and go to law school. You know, I graduated from law school and um, never thought about food and beverage at all as a career. Um, this wasn't something I discovered until later in life that it was actually something I wanted to pursue. And you kind of look back to your roots and what makes you happy as a person and what drives you, not just what helps you make money and affords you with a lifestyle that you're accustomed to, but actually what, what gives you, you know, um, the, the sense of calm and the sense of peace and just a warmth in your heart. And for me, that was cooking, but I, I didn't pursue it as a career until much later. I read in an interview that um, you had some trepidation about utilizing the term chef in your in your promotion. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I think I'm kind of, you know, it's not necessarily an issue for me. I think it's somewhat of an issue for some of the culinary community, particularly here in Las Vegas, where, you know, you 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 grind it out on the line. You know, you, you go to culinary school. It, it means something different. You know, if if you come up a certain way from an academic standpoint, in particular, where you dedicate your career and you slog it out on the line for, you know, 15, 20 years or longer, you know, somebody like that doesn't necessarily want to look at someone like me as a chef, you know, who comes up more through the homeschool route. I guess the comparison that I tend to give all the time is Rachel Ray. I mean, people, you know, yeah. a lot of people on cooking shows, they'll refer to her as chef, and she's like, well, I'm, I'm a home cook. I'm a home cook. It's like, you know, hey, listen, if someone wants to call me chef, cool. Uh, I just more care about kind of front of house guest experience. I care about, you know, how my food tastes. And whatever you want to call me is absolutely fine with me. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you know, you you have many hats on most of the time. <laughs> You're a pop-up chef, cookbook author, television personality, and founder of Dink Cuisine. You wear many hats in the culinary world. How do you manage to juggle all these at the same time? 
Yeah, there's another hat too. It's a culinary entrepreneur. I started a spice line earlier this year called Distill Spices. So yeah, oh my that's God. another so hat. Yes. Even more. Oh my, how do you do this all? <laughs> it's really, um, I have a very good marriage. Um, I have a lot of balance in my life. I say no to things that I don't want to do. If something makes me uncomfortable or if I think I'm going to be spread too thinly, I'm learning how to, you know, put up barriers to kind of preserve um, my health. And for a while there, I was, I was running way too hard. I was doing, you know, a couple of events a, a month, which doesn't really sound like a lot, but when you think about all the logistics and selling tickets and promoting it and, you know, actually doing the cooking and then hiring people if I need to, in order to actually, you know, make it run smoothly. Um, I was really starting to burn out and, um, yeah. I wound up, uh, getting, really severe bronchitis in June and I had to cancel my first event ever, which was devastating to me. And I realized I, I need to kind of push the pause button. So second half of this year, I've really pulled back and focused on doing just a lesser amount of events, but doing them very, very well. And also preserving my mental state and my, my health and making sure that I don't, you know, get, get, get sick. Um, and, uh, but other than that, you know, it's, it's more just, um, truly being stimulated by the work, you know, if you really, and I hate to use that trite expression, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life, but it is actually true in this particular case. These are things that I find fun. It's not really work. It's just making yeah. sure that I'm meticulous about my schedule and that, you know, I'm communicating to people who are on my team or people who are helping me that they understand that I'm not always going to be focused on them, that I have other things that I'm doing. And part of that is just you know, trying to be a good leader, trying to be a good communicator um, so that everybody understands their role and how they fit in. To make I, want to talk, I want to talk about the whole boundaries thing and like learning when to say no, because I, I think that's something I've talked to so many authors recently who kind of uh, after the taping was over, talked about this aspect of it. I think that creative people, especially people who are, you know, doing a lot of different kind of things in their business life, mm -hmm. it's hard to kind of learn to say no, isn't it? Because you get a lot of opportunities. People want you to do this and that. Ultimately, you can kind of, I've seen a lot of people really burn out, especially recently. I, I know a few bloggers that have really crashed and burned. Uh, do you want, I mean, can you talk about this a little bit? I, I, I don't want to get yeah. too personal, but like, I think no. this is something we can all relate to, right? No. And I think we all try to help each other, you know, and, and, and this is another thing. Vegas is, um, amazing for networking you yeah. know people really support each other here and when they when you have a fellow chef that's going to come to you with an idea and say hey i'd really love to be able to do this with you you know that they're passionate about it so you want to support them and help them achieve their vision yeah so it's hard to say no because and I, I used to act in high school, like I was in high school plays and stuff. And I almost pursued theater as a major <laughs> before yeah. I was convinced I was going to go to law school. And, um, you know, I, I love, I love being on TV. I love recognition. I love validation. You know, I want to say yes to things because the more things I say yes to, the more people I'm going to reach and the more excitement I'm going to create and it's buzz and it's social media and it's all like, yay. Um, which is, that's the fun part, right? It's fun for me. It's not fun for the certain chefs that absolutely hate it. Despise. Yeah. Uh, and view it as a necessary evil. I actually love that. So I say yes to things because I find it stimulating, but it's also a reason for people to say, hey, you're doing something super cool. Um, but you sort of realize that um, you would much rather do in many cases, or at least this is a realization that I had, I'd much rather do things very, very well and be meticulous because I don't like missing details. 
Yeah. And the more you say yes, you know, um, and there's a, there's a very constructive way to do that, you know, to, to, to validate people, to validate their ideas and just say, I would love to be able to collaborate with you. Can, can we maybe take a look at doing something next year? Is, is that something you'd be open to and really sort of test them out so that they know you're not saying no to them, you're not rejecting them. Um, you really are, you know, if you are authentic and you really do like the idea that there's ways to do that, to put up those barriers that, you know, you can have your cake and eat it too. Um, you yeah. can still do these things, but just be mindful about the toll it's going to take because if the, if the quality suffers either with the, you know, the taste of your food or the presentation because you don't have enough staff because you were too last minute and you tried to squeeze it in and then nobody's happy. And then you were frustrated because it didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. Um, there's consequences, you know, for, for saying yes too much. Um, so I, I started to realize that too, that it's like, yeah, as much as I might want this logistically, I can't see it through and execute properly. I, I gotta say, no, I just have to, yeah. or at least later. Yes. Yes. But later. <laughs> yeah. Down the line, a couple of years from now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk about Dink Cuisine. Um, you ins what inspired you to start this, um, this company and what are some of the unique culinary experiences you've curated through the company? Um, so I started um, the concept in 2017, which is when I reserved the URL for my website. It kind of took me a while to kind of get it together, but my husband and I are childless by choice. Um, and if you look at sort of mainstream cookbooks, you know, there is a, there's a little bit of a bias there. There's a bias towards families. There's a bias towards, you know, cooking for large groups, uh, there's a a mindset out there that if you decide that you want to cook something that, you know, there's probably at least four to six people in the room for you to feed, which isn't the case. So if you look at the most recent census, I think it was 2.54 people. So there are way more households with closer to two people than there are, you know, eight to 10. Yeah. Um, but there's no alignment when you when you look at you know recipe development and you look at you know cookbook authors everybody is still sort of holding on to this concept of the american family as this you know huge thing and it's not that's that's not true yeah. <laughs> so i got sick of doing math um i didn't want to have to do fractions every single time i decided to write a recipe and pull a recipe out of one of my cookbooks and i've got you know probably close to 100 um, or online, and they're all written for six to eight servings. So I was put into a situation where if I didn't do math and I made the recipe because I'm a good little soldier, make it as the recipe writer intended, I either had to meal plan and save that food, or if I didn't want to eat it, I had to throw it out. So I was wasting food, which meant I was wasting money, or I would overeat the portions because I love the food. So I wasn't just eating one serving. I was eating two servings, sometimes even three servings. And that made me gain weight. So if you kind of take a look at sort of from a root cause standpoint, everything has to do with cooking mindfully and actually cooking and right-sizing your portions to the people that are in your household. And that's why I really thought I was onto something with empty nesters, cooking for two people that were, you know, don't have kids like me, roommates, you know, somebody caging, uh, uh, caring for an aging parent. Um, so many different types of uh, dynamics of households for two that I think are underrepresented, you know, from a, a cookbook standpoint. I really think this is something that's really big right now. I So many people are starting that I've talked to and interviewed are doing 
small batch recipes, recipes mm -hmm. for two. It's a thing that like, I think is becoming more, as, as you said, like, I, I don't know how many times I've looked at recipes that I've wanted to cook. And then I'm like, this is too much. I, I, I don't know how to half this or quarter this. Mm -hmm. This is just, you know, kind of, it, it kind of makes a lot of cookbooks not really plausible for mm -hmm. me because everything, like you said, is like for farm hands and stuff like that. Yes. You know? <laughs> You're making it for like 20 people. We don't all live on ranches. Yeah. I mean, no, no. as much as I love the pioneer woman, I love her to death, but no, we don't, not all feeding like a bunch of cowboys. So <laughs> yeah, I tend to be eating this stuff like days, like I'm eating third day. I'm still eating the same thing. Cause you know, I, I don't want it to go to waste. So it's like, Oh no. Well, and when you think about like in Las Vegas is a dynamic city, you know, it's a 24 seven town. Um, my husband and I live here. We relocated here because we want dynamic lives. Yeah. And especially post pandemic. I mean, I don't, I don't want to have my decisions made for me at the end of the day as to what I'm going to eat. You know, I'm not, even though I do have a cookbook that has a meal plan in it, well, my vegetarian keto cookbook uh, has a meal plan for people that choose that. That's not how I personally today want to live. I want to know yeah. that at the end of the day, I could be anywhere in this town and I don't want to have to pull a brick out of the freezer just because I made it three days ago and I don't want to waste it. Yeah. Um, so it just depends on the lifestyle you want, I think, in many cases. Yeah. So did you did you always kind of know that you're going to be a food writer? At what point did you think, you know, this is really the path that I want to go down? Well, I was an English major um, because I knew I was going to go to law school. So when I uh, became an English major, I had two primary goals. One, I wanted to be able to learn how to read quickly, which I still don't do very well. I, I, I read relatively slowly, but I also wanted to be able to write very well and clearly articulate myself, which is very important as an attorney. I think a lot of people underestimate that. Um, they all think of kind of courtroom drama type stuff, but reading and writing is really sort of core to um, being able to clearly communicate <laughs> yeah. and interpret and interpret the law, right? But um, I loved writing. It was my favorite thing to do. And um, as I kind of went through my career um, and I realized that I could connect the two, that it was actually possible to have something that I actually cared about, which was food and something that I happened to be really, really good at, which is writing, that it just made sense to kind of combine them. I wish I would have figured that a lot, uh, figured it out a lot earlier, but I didn't really kind of put it together until my mid to late forties. <laughs> Your first cookbook was Italian cookbook for two, following the theme of cooking things for just a few people mm -hmm. rather than like, you know, ranch hands and stuff like that. It's a celebration of the traditional Italian flavors. What are some of your favorite Italian dishes from the cookbook that you like to make? Well, I think one of my favorites is, is bunya cauda. Um, bunya oh, yeah, cauda yeah. is uh, <laughs> sort of a Northern Italian dip, if you will. So it's, um, you know, in my family, we make it with sour cream, but it's primarily just melted butter. Sometimes people make it with olive oil um, and anchovies and garlic. And you dip uh, crudite and bread. And it's just sort of oh. you know, something that we would always have at the middle of the table. And it was always- oh, Hold on just one second, please. Yeah. I'm going to just pause right here. All right. Uh, thank you. I'm back. Okay. No problem. Go ahead. Um, so I would say probably one of my favorite recipes from the cookbook is uh, bunya cauda, which is a, a Northern um, Italian dip that's made with, um, my goodness, sorry, something's coming across. Uh, it's made with melted butter. We make my family with melted butter, anchovies, garlic, um, and we actually add a little bit of sour cream. 
So you nice. dip uh, crudite, you dip bread into it. And it's just sort of something that's in the middle of the table, kind of starts as an appetizer, but kind of lingers throughout the meal, which is kind of fun. And um, so I, I uh, actually turned bunyakauta into a mac and cheese. So I kind oh, of wow. paired it more like with a bechamel. Um, and made a cream sauce and then, um, you know, added that. And then, you know, you, you, you put, uh, I used ditalini pasta. So like this small little kind of, uh, almost little, small little macaroni. And yeah, that's absolutely delicious. I also do a mashup, um, an Italian cookbook for two of my, uh, cannoli brownies. So I make oh, a wow. really fudgy brownie and then I add, um, I make like a, for the frosting, it's like essentially the filling of a cannoli. But it's made with, you know, mascarpone and it's, I put a little bit of almond extract and I put um, little mini chocolate chips and oh, wow. I always love my um, cannoli with the little uh, marchioccino cherries at either end. So there's a little marchino and chopped to kind of, you know, garnish. So they're, they're, they're excellent, I must say. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Oh my God, I'd eat that whole pan. <laughs> Your second cookbook is the Vegetarian Ketogenic Cookbook for Beginners. It's a guide yes. to combining the benefits of lacto, ovo, vegetarian, and ketogenic diets. What are some of the challenges and rewards of cooking ketogenic? Well, you know, I think a lot of people, and I, I was keto for years. Um, I was actually very successful in paleo and keto uh, diets, you know, particularly, you know, started about 10 years ago. And um, my personal journey is uh, I was really heavy on the protein side. Um, because a, a lot of women in particular don't get enough protein and yeah. you, you really sort of default to, you know, uh, animal protein, uh, because that's where you get kind of like the biggest bang for your buck. And, you know, if you're vegan or you're vegetarian, you kind of come out on the short end of the stick with that a lot of times. So I think a lot of people, when they're trying to eat low carb, you take a look at something like, you know, legumes or like beans or, you know, even pasta, you know sometimes you look at a vegan and, and, you know, you perceive them as being overweight. All they're really trying to do is avoid animal protein, but they may yeah. be focused on a, a very high carbohydrate diet, um, which, you know, the, the whole purpose of this book was to, you know, kind of regulate that and help people understand that by eating eggs. So if you do, that's where the ovo comes in. If you do, uh, if you are okay with eating eggs, there's a lot of ways that you can get some great protein um, with a vegetarian diet um, by uh, also eating eggs. Are there some good recipes that you want to recommend from that one? One of the things I really love is my um, egg white salad. Um, so instead Ooh. of just a traditional egg salad, it's sort of, uh, there's a rancho twist to it. So I actually make a pico de gallo and oh, then I wow. take the whites of hard boiled eggs and then I chop them together. Um, and it's like, I can eat it by the bucket. It, it is so unbelievably good. And there's something about it. And I actually will admit, I think I even said this in the intro to the recipe in the in the cookbook i stole the idea from trader joe's <laughs> i may have not listed trader joe's by name but they had a a really really good pre-packaged um egg white salad that i think they called their ranchero egg white salad and i just i mean i just eat two or three containers of that like a day for like months it just went on months good. and months and months and months so yeah that was their their little contribution to the book <laughs> i like that yeah. Your third cookbook was Food with Spirit, Alcohol and Foods Recipes, and it's this gonna it's gonna be um, released soon. What can readers expect from this boozy collection? So this actually uh came out on uh September 26th. So it's out now. Oh, it's it's I got a little uh, late. Okay, yeah, great. That's, 
That's okay. Um, I actually did a signing at uh, Barnes and Noble in, in Henderson, Nevada, which is uh, right next door to the town, right next door to us, and uh, signed a couple of copies. So they're they're on the shelves now if they aren't already sold. Um, so this uh, cookbook is sort of near and dear to my heart, you know, and Italians are kind of known for cooking with um, a lot of wine, but also a lot of different types of liqueurs. Yeah. Um, and particularly having very boozy desserts. So I joke about the fact that when I was a kid, um, my mom makes these amazing bourbon balls. So they're like little chocolate, um, moist little balls, but they've got like, they're just flushed with bourbon. <laughs> and mm, okay. when I was a kid, I would eat them by the dozen. I mean, and then you roll them in powdered sugar. They're absolutely delicious. They're not in the cookbook. I didn't steal the recipe. Um, but I remember vividly as a kid thinking to myself, I'm horsing these down and everybody else is eating, you know, animal crackers and, you know, all the other kids in my class, like, why, why do I like this type of stuff? <laughs> you know, and I didn't know it was bourbon. I mean, I had no idea I was little, you know, but it was just sort of a, uh, something that I adopted as a kid that was sort of like informed how I perceived desserts, even growing up, like, you know, even, um, my parents always used to buy uh, Christmas gifts for their friends and for our, for our family. And even Marcus, they would have these boozy cakes um, in their little gifts. I don't know if you remember, they kind of had like a gourmet gift part, particularly in, in San Francisco. And um, they used to buy just dozens of these cakes and just hand them out, you know, to everybody. And when I would get to taste one, I'd be like, oh, this tastes, it doesn't taste like any other cake that any of my <laughs> friends have. It was because they were loaded with booze. <laughs> But uh, so, yeah, that was sort of the inspiration. It just sort of stuck with me, I guess. Any recipes from that you want to mention? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I really, really love, and I, again, I probably have got the sense too, that I'm really known for my mashups. So I, I love taking something that's traditional and, and reinventing it in a way that's kind of my own and that I can, you know, kind of put my own stamp on it, so to speak. And chicken marsala meatballs is, is that for me, it's one of the standouts that I just love. I've served it at many events and it's always just gets just rave reviews. And, um, so it's really good. You know, you kind of basically take ground chicken and then you, you know, you put all the ingredients that you essentially would, but then you, you may make a marsala sauce with the mushrooms and fresh thyme. And it's just, it's just dynamite. I, I love that one. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I, I like that idea. <laughs> As a television personality, you've appeared on a number of cooking shows. What are some of the most memorable experiences you've had on set? Oh, man. Um, I have, well, I've got my own cooking show, uh, my own show called Sin City Kitchen. And so I would have to say that some of the memories I've created on my own show have just been phenomenal. So uh, I just launched season two um of Sin City Kitchen first episode was with a comedian named Lunell I don't know if you're familiar with Lunell but she just uh released a, a Netflix special that was produced by Dave Chappelle and oh, so wow. she was uh she was my star for episode one of, of season two and we actually kicked it off with a watch party at Jimmy Kimmel's comedy club where Lunell has a residency twice a week oh, um, wow. Sundays and Mondays and so they closed down the club for us after the you know last comedian of the night performed um, they closed down the club and Lunell came in and we had, you know, at a party and we, we watched the episode and she just, um, she said such beautiful things, you know, she just, she addressed the crowd and, you know, she, uh, supported, you know, distilled spices. Cause in the episode, I gave her all seven of my, uh, seasonings and I had it nicely packaged for her. And she's like, you know, 
su support Alicia and what she's trying to do. It's, it's very difficult to start a brand and um, yeah. to just to kind of get that support from her was just like, you know, amazing. So yeah, I, I was very touched by that. What are some of the t favorite tips and tricks for home cooks that you might have? Well, if you, if you do have a smaller household, um, I would encourage people to take a look at their bakeware um, and their utensils, their pans, that um, a lot of people think, well, how can you possibly take something like lasagna and distill it down to be able to, to cook something like lasagna for two? When you're used to gigantic portions and casseroles, um, <clears throat> if you uh, invest in a really good quality loaf pan, whether it's glass or whether or not it's, you know, it's, it's metal, it doesn't really matter. You can use different types of vessels and different types of bakeware to really pull down your portions so that you can still enjoy things that are made, you know, apparently for, you know, kind of family style and, and casseroles and lasagnas for smaller format. Um, same with pans, you know, sometimes people just buy pans, they don't really put any thought into it. And all of a sudden they're, they're not cooking at the right temperature because everything is spread out into an even layer and it cooks faster than the, what the recipe is telling them. And then they get all flustered. So what mm -hmm. you really need to do is when you, when you're, hopefully you're picking recipes for like literally that are optimized for the amount of people in your house, but that it's not just that it's that you're also um, cooking with, you know, the right instruments. You don't want a gigantic spatula or a pair of tongs that are like this, this huge, when you're only flipping, you know, two burgers <laughs> or, or something, you know, spatulas or, or tongs or whatever, um, especially when you're deep frying, you know, don't, don't get a gigantic, you know, Dutch oven to be able to deep fry something when you can get away with doing it in a small pot. It's wasteful. Oh, yeah. So be mindful about, you know, what you're cooking and make sure that you're actually choosing the appropriate um, tools to help you not, not make it worse and not get the right result for the recipe. I want to talk about the Las Vegas food scene. For those of us who've not been there and haven't experienced it, what can you tell us about it? Uh, so we're really into food halls now. That's the latest thing. <laughs> There's um, a new uh, casino that's opening down the street, uh, up the freeway from us, just a couple of exits uh, called the, the Durango. Um, and they're going to have a cool food food hall in there. Uh, Resorts World, which is a mega casino that's actually on the the strip, um, kind of down from the wind. They have a huge, you know, uh, food hall that is, you know, globally inspired, uh, mostly uh, Asian cuisine. Um, but that's kind of where it is now. There's also one in the Summerlin area called Summerlin Takeout, where there's a bunch of chefs almost treating it as a commissary where, you know, you could come in and get takeout and they have these cool little lockers where you, you, you go up to this electronic kiosk, this digital kiosk, you enter your order, you wait for a little bit, and then the food comes through in, you know, an old school locker. Um, and you just, open oh, wow. the locker and your food is there and you shut back the locker. And you know, so those sorts of things. So those sorts of, um, there's also one called the sundry in a new uh, commercial development here in Vegas called the uncommons. Um, so that's just, you know, a bunch of different food purveyors and, you know, some full format restaurants where you can actually just go in and, you know, there's other, you know, ones that are smaller that are just little stations that you can order from. And it's kind of all digital where you kind of go in and you see the menus for everybody and you just pick what you want. Um, so that's, that's been really fun because it, you, it's a way that I think a lot of chefs that are more tiptoeing in the water that don't want to invest in a full brick and mortar you know, restaurant on their own, 
that they can actually take their concepts and even test them out, or they can kind of do almost like a halfway, um, you know, concept, which, you know, allows uh, the public to really enjoy their food in a way that they may not have otherwise done so. That sounds really fun. Yeah. Alicia, what's next for you? Oh my goodness. Well, um, one of the questions that you asked me earlier was what, what, what have been some of the highlights of Dink Cuisine and, you know, one of the most fun events I've had. And, um, earlier this year, I had, um, an event with Tiffany, who is uh, a singer. She's a, a, a pop star. She was big in the eighties, but she's oh, yeah. tremendous career. Um, she's done about, I think it's, she's up to 12 albums now. Um, uh, she just released a new album called shadows. So we did a VIP event. She's really into food and she has her own cooking club called, uh, let's food with Tiffany. And so we did an event together in Las Vegas. Um, she had a residency in Vegas for a while, many years ago, and this is a town that she loves. And so um, we actually had 60 covers, so 60 VIPs that, uh, like, you know, did an entire uh, Mediterranean cuisine concept for, and then she performed after that. So that was really, really fun. Tiffany's coming back to town in January or February. We haven't nailed down dates yet, but we are actually going to, fingers crossed, write a cookbook together. Um, that is that is awesome. We've developed our concept. Uh, we want to try to maybe have like an 80s themed, um, but also very much like a lifestyle book um, that talks about, you know, what it means. We're both, we're only a few months apart. So she just turned 52 a few days ago. Um, I am 52. I turned 52 in May. Uh, so we had, in many ways, these sort of parallel lives where we were pursuing careers. She pursued music. You know, I pursued my corporate life. And then we discovered that food was our passion. And so um, the book that we want to put together is not just our recipes um, of food that served us well in the 80s, but also food that serves us well now and how we've sort of um, matured and have, you know, are trying to be healthy and you know, trying to lead, you know, really, really great lives um, and bringing people along with us and sharing that that journey. So it should be really, really fun. I'm, I'm very excited about that project. It's, it's a lot, there's a lot of logistics to still make it happen, but uh, that's something that I'm really looking forward to. That sounds amazing. I want to thank you for being on the podcast. I'm going to include links to all your cookbooks, but most specifically Food with Spirit, which was just recently released. I'm going to feature that as well. Um, Alicia, thank you for being on the podcast. I really enjoyed getting a chance to talk to you. Thank you, Dean. Well, it was a pleasure. And I uh, would love to point all my fans uh, over to, to follow you and make sure that they continue to support you. Certainly appreciate everything that you're doing for our community and um, look forward to anybody that wants to follow me on Dink Cuisine on Instagram and, and uh, encourage them to follow you back. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dean. That was my conversation with the wonderful Alicia Shevatone. You can um, find links to her cookbooks in the bio, especially her newest one, Cooking with Spirit. That's available um, through all major outlets and at all better bookstores. Next week, we're going to be speaking with Tessa Kiros, the famous cookbook author who's written many wonderful and loved cookbooks, including Falling Cloudberries, Apples for Cham, and Providence to Pound Cherry. She has many other cookbooks as well, and we're going to be talking with the wonderful Tessa Kiros next week. Until then, I hope you all have a really wonderful week, and I'll see you at the library. Bye.